0: Now, speaking of football, we are in the process of doing a teaching series that's based on the Olympics. I'm a huge Olympic fan, huge Olympic fan. Yeah, that's right. You can cheer for that. Thank you, Joe. I'm a huge fan of the Olympics. And what we've been doing is we've been processing biblically through different events that are mentioned in the scriptures that assimilate well with the Olympics. We talked about wrestling where Jacob wrestled with God and his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. We talked about the long distance reality that scripture talks about a foot race which is looks toward or references a marathon. That idea of the Christian faith being a long race, it's not a sprint. And then last week we took a look at the whole idea of the high hurdle of our faith which is forgiveness the understanding of the importance of forgiveness in our lives. And this week, what I'm going to talk about would be synonymous with the closing ceremonies, the closing ceremonies of the Olympics. Did anyone see the closing ceremonies? I wanted to see something. How many of you saw the opening ceremonies? Raise your hand. How many of you saw the closing ceremonies? Raise your hand. It's literally like a tenth. that saw the opening. The idea, though, for the Olympics of the closing ceremonies is to celebrate the athletes that have won medals, to kind of have everyone exit that with a real sense of hope and celebration and inspiration for the next one. That's the purpose of it, to inspire and to instill hope and to encourage people. I don't know if you know this, but there were 17 UVA people that were in the Olympics this year. 17. It's awesome, 17 of them. Three coaches and 14 athletes were involved with the Olympics. One of the coaches is actually a friend of mine. He's a crew coach at the University of Virginia, and he was there coaching the rowing team. Great guy, Kevin Sauer, great guy. But as we're processing through the Olympics, I kind of switched my teaching this morning. I'm not really sure why, but just sort of in prayer. I have a deal with God that I study all week, and then if I sense I'm supposed to switch something, I do. And so this morning, I kind of sensed that I was supposed to switch, and although it deals with the closing ceremonies... The idea is this morning, though, if we could put up the pick of the closing ceremony, it was awesome. It was an incredible celebration that they had. What I'm going to talk about this morning with the closing ceremony of the Olympics is I want us to kind of take a jumping spot or a jumping point by reading together 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I took this out of the King James Version because it's a little more poetic. Here's what scripture says. Read it out loud with me, if you will. Ready, out loud. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. One more time, read it out loud. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Here's what's Paul's writing to the church of Corinth. Get ready to have your mind blown. That's what he's saying. Get ready to have your mind blown. So what I want us to do together this morning is we're going to look at the closing ceremony found in Scripture. What is kind of the closing of Scripture? Because as with the closing ceremony for the Olympics, it has got a sense of grandeur, culture. It's got a sense of celebration. It's sort of the grand finale. It's got hope. It causes us to celebrate and inspire. And kind of the grand ending of the biblical story does the same. And so what we're going to do together is we're going to take a look at kind of the closing ceremony of Scripture. What does it say? How does it communicate to us? And listen, whether you're a college student or you're up in your senior years, what we need to understand is that the closing message of Scripture is absolutely critical to our faith as we follow Jesus. So what I'm going to ask that we would do together is we're going to take a quick look at Revelation chapter 21. It's page 1004 in the scripture that we provide. But we're going to take a look at Revelation chapter 21. The heading on it says, a new heaven and a new earth. I could have also put there, although it's not referenced here, you will also get a new body. New heaven, new earth, new body. That's what scripture tells us. How many of you are exceptionally pumped about the new body? Raise your hand. Everyone does. I will promise you that when I get my new body, I'm gonna look like Hulk Hogan. God and I have a deal, and that's the deal. I'm going to walk, I'm going to, you know, and I would say Samson, but I'm convinced that Samson was built like me, not Hulk Hogan, because the incredible things that he did with strength and with power, no one could believe it, much like myself, when you look at me. So, the deal with God is, is that when I get my heavenly body, I'm going to look more like Hulk Hogan before he got into politics. Now, Scripture tells us in the grand celebration, the grand final celebration of Scripture, here's what the Bible says to us. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. That God's ultimate intent for all of creation will be made new. And so John the Revelator writes to us as God allows him by his grace to look into the future. And John looks into the future and he writes the book of Revelation. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is how the book of Revelation ends. Here's what it says, or near to the end. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. That's a key phrase, no longer any sea. Here's what John says. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I'm going to come back to that as well. And he writes, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, look. He who was seated on the throne said, I make everything new. I'm just going to tell you, a shout for joy goes right there. God has a plan, and his plan is absolutely guaranteed. And Here's what I know. Some of us sitting here are people that have never read the Bible. You're checking out faith. Someone has invited you to city, and so you've come. What I want to tell you is this morning, this is the grand final celebration that Scripture guarantees us will happen. If you could leave the text up there, I would appreciate it as I talk through a couple of things. The writer says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Here's what you need to know. Heaven and earth are joined together in the final deal. No longer are heaven and earth separated. No longer do you have heaven up there and earth down here. But what Scripture tells us, that is in the last move of God, God by His grace will give you a new body for everyone who follows Christ. It's called the resurrected body. Here's why. This earthly body is corrupt and could not survive in the new heaven the new earth. By the way, just so you know, the ultimate victory for the Apostle Paul is not that you go to heaven. The ultimate victory for the Apostle Paul is the resurrection of your body from the dead with a new body that can live in the new created heaven and earth. That's Paul's ultimate victory. You want to know why? For him, that's the ultimate victory over death. The fact that we will be resurrected from the dead, and just as Christ was raised from the dead on the third day at Easter, you and I on that day will be resurrected as well, and Scripture promises you, you will have a new body that can live forever in the new heaven and the new earth. By the way, a shout of hallelujah goes right there as well. When you look at what the Apostle Paul writes, you discover there's a new body that we will get. And John the Revelator writes that there will also be a new heaven and a new earth. Here's what he says The first heaven and earth have passed away. And there's a key phrase. And there's no longer any sea. Now, some of you sitting here go, I like the ocean. What's the problem? I want the ocean. As a matter of fact, how many of you sitting here right now wish you were on vacation at the beach? Admit it. Confess it with all your heart to God and to man. You wish you were at the beach right now. Well, the Scripture says there will be no more sea. Why? Here's why. In Jewish theology, the sea is where all the evil comes from. That's why. And if you look in the book of Revelation, evil comes out of the sea. That's where the beast comes from. That's where evil comes from in Jewish theology. That's why, by the way, when Jesus steps out of the boat and he walks on the water and he does it at night... What you and I need to know is that to the Jewish mind, Jesus is dominating the two sources of evil. He's walking on the sea. That's where evil comes from, and he's doing it in the middle of the night. That's when evil penetrates life. And so here Jesus is, walking on the water, like taking a stroll through the park, and then he says to the second best named man in all of Scripture, Peter, Come out of the boat, come and play. Peter does. And although it may have been three meters before he sinks, he still did walk on the water. And the promise here is this, that Jesus dominates evil, that Jesus dominates evil in the middle of the night when evil happens. You see, in the book of Revelation, John the Revelator sees into the new heaven and the combination of heaven and earth, and when he sees them together, he notices something that blows his mind. No more sea, No source for evil. Evil will be permanently removed, and we will live forever and ever. Now, for those of you who are a little bit bummed out because you like to fish, how many of you like to fish? I love to fish. But here's what's cool. In a few minutes, we're going to read another final text, and it talks about a river. And I believe there's going to be trout this big <laughs> in the heavenly river. And when I fly fish, I'm going to catch one on every cast. That's just me thinking out loud. Now, the idea is, though is that John the Revelator looks into the future and there's no longer any sea. The source of evil is gone. And then he says, I see the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. It's that idea of heaven is now combined with earth. And one thing that's not mentioned is the temple. There's no temple when the heaven and earth are combined. Want to know why? You will worship God everywhere, all the time, and sin has been done away with, so the sacrifices of the temple are no longer needed. And so when heaven and earth come together, you and I will have a new body, and the grand finale of God's reality is that you and I will live there forever and forever, and here's John how he describes it best. He says that the new heaven comes down from God and steps into earth. And here's the description, as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. As a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. You see, what's incredible throughout Scripture is that marriage and a wedding are the primary imageries that God uses in his relationship to you and to me. That it's about a wedding. It's about a marriage. It's about two entities that are coming together. And God says this, that heaven is prepared as a bride. That's how John saw it. With all of the pomp and circumstance, heaven comes down like a bride prepared. And in this, there's something in our culture, but even more so in Jewish culture of Jesus' day, where people's hearts would leap within them. Because you see, a wedding was a huge time of celebration. It's when the whole village... The whole town would gather together and they would celebrate the wedding and they would celebrate the bride and the groom and everyone was invited. And the idea of a wedding was a time where the family of the bride would take and literally mortgage everything that they had and they would throw a huge celebration and all of their friends and all of their family would come for a massive massive feast and the feast would last for days and people would party and drink wine and celebrate. It was the ultimate expression of human love. It's fascinating. The first miracle that Jesus ever does is at a wedding. Jesus does his first miracle to celebrate a marriage. He's there celebrating in Cana of Galilee, And while he is there, his mother comes to him and says, They have run out of wine. He says, Woman, leave me alone. It's not my time. But Jesus, like all the rest of us, listened to his mother. And she said, Do whatever he tells you. So Jesus says to those that are at this wedding, There were big pots of water. He said they were empty, said, Fill them with water. And the water turned to wine. And the person who was running the whole wedding came and tasted the wine and said to the dad who had provided it, You saved the best wine for last. Normally, the best wine comes out first. And literally, this is what scripture says. And then, when everyone gets hammered, you bring out the junk. Pete Hartwig translation. But Jesus turns water into wine. It was not his time yet. But you see, you have to understand, marriage is critical. Weddings are critical. If the dad had run out of wine, it would be such a shame and such a cultural disgrace that he would have not been able to face his friends and his family and the people in his village. You see, weddings are huge. They are the ultimate expression of love between people. And it's this that God capitalizes on and uses that. And that's what John sees as he sees heaven coming down, joining with earth. It's like a bride, beautifully adorned, and coming to meet her groom. Not only this, but Scripture tells us earlier in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, that everyone who has said yes to Jesus, will take place at what's called the wedding supper of the Lamb. That wedding or marriage theme, that grand finale, is something that just permeates the end according to God. Here's what is written by John the Revelator in chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder and shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad, give glory to Him, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. You can bank on it. You can bank on it. That if you are a person who is a follower of Jesus, you will receive an invitation to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now, I was at a wedding a couple summers ago that I wish all of you could have been there with me. I wish you could. It was in downtown Philadelphia. I love Philadelphia because of cheesesteaks. but Philly, the city of brotherly love. My wife had a family member that was married in Philly. She was married in a church where some of our founding fathers worshipped and they're buried in the cemetery in Center City, Philly, right around that building. It was incredible. I wish you could have been there. It was drop-dead gorgeous. Fran's cousin was married, and she was a beautiful bride. Not only that, after that, we went to this gorgeous hotel, and the party began. It was awesome. Here's why. I come from a German background, and at German weddings, everyone just kind of shakes hands, stands back, says to the bride, You did well up there. It's kind of a German wedding. But if you go to an Italian wedding, it's party time. (laughs) And here we are at this gorgeous hotel, and all of a sudden the music starts. And it's this Italian music. And everybody just pushes the food away, and they jump up, and they're out on the dance floor. And I'm looking at some of my wife's relatives. No joke, they're pushing 90 And I'm thinking to myself, someone better pray because those people are out there dancing and sweating and swinging around and the whole place. You just can't help it. Let me tell you, if you can't dance, just go to an Italian wedding. You will. Trust me, you will dance. The problem is for me is they do these line dances. I think one of them is called the chicken or something like that. And they get down and they do all this stuff and... When they're going forward, I'm totally uncoordinated at dancing. They're going forward, I'm going backwards. And so what I do is I find a safe spot against the wall, and I kind of watch. It's a blast to watch. But I don't want to ricochet like a pinball in the middle of them while they're doing everything that's coordinated. But I tell you, it's a blast. And then they do something that I just love to see. These guys get chairs, and they lift up the bride. And everyone begins to cheer, and they dance around the hotel with her. And she's trying to act happy, but she's really hanging on for dear life. (laughs) Then they pick up the groom, and they do the same thing, and the music starts reeling again, and everyone's dancing and shouting and cheering. How many of you wish you could be there, right? I mean, come on. It's just awesome. The celebration is over the top. I asked the bride's father how much he spent, and he spent on that wedding in Philadelphia. But man, there was so much life, it was wonderful. That's how weddings were during Jesus' time. Everybody would gather, everyone would celebrate. I'll tell you as a pastor, I've lost count in the past 28 years of how many weddings I've done. But every time I do a wedding, I'm right there as that couple makes their vow to God. It's powerful every single time. I've literally lost count of how many times I've stood there and listened to a groom repeat to his bride, better or worse, rich or poor, sickness or in health. And then I've heard the bride Say the same thing back. And every time that happens, I kind of look through the couple and I look at the parents that are on the front row and they're just beaming. Usually the bride's dad's got a few tears and you think it's for his daughter, but it's really the bills that are coming that he knows (laughs) that he has to pay. I'm going to tell you what my favorite part of every wedding is. Favorite part. My favorite part of every wedding is when the bride comes through the door or the bride steps up over the hill if it's an outdoor wedding. And here's what I love to do. I love to have one eye on him and one eye on her. And I love to see the expression of the groom when the bride steps out. It's awesome. I've seen grown men cry like a bumbling baby when they see her. My favorite was a football player at Princeton when I was a chaplain there. I performed his wedding, he was a huge man. But when his wife stepped into, or when his bride stepped into that long cathedral center aisle, I looked at him and he literally let out a noise that no man should, it was just like <laughs> a sob and a blubber. And I looked, over, I was like, whoa! man, that was special, and he just was sobbing, just sobbing as she walked towards him. It was just incredible. I love that experience. I never get tired of that experience, just seeing the expression as love sees what love has longed for, and here's what John the Revelator says, that heaven will come to earth like a bride prepared, and all of earth And these people, you and I, who are followers of Jesus, who have lived through the hardship of this life, can you imagine what it will be like when we look up and we see heaven and earth come together forever and ever and ever? What an incredible, incredible thought. As we close out our time, I'd like for us to read the true final statement about heaven. That true final statement, the grand finale, that closing ceremony where John the Revelator is blessed to see into the future. And here's what he writes in Revelation chapter 22. If we could put up that slide, I'd like you to read it. I'll read it out loud if you would read it quietly with me. Here's what John the Revelator sees. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. There's going to be a river for all of us trout fishermen. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city and on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Guess what's missing? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is gone, but the tree of life literally straddles the river of life. And it says, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more, what? Night. When evil happens, will be eternally gone. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. What a grand ending. What an incredible, final, final thought that you and I, as we follow Christ, are a group of people who will see this one day. God guarantees it. Remember what we read in 1 Corinthians 2.9. It says, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But I thank God every day that the book of Revelation gives us a window to what it will be like. It's going to be like a bride descending, greeting the love of her life. Heaven will come to earth. And in that message, we have hope. We have a reason to celebrate. It's there to inspire us that you would want to be there Someday. To me, I know that some of us sitting here need to hear this this morning. That this earth has worn thin. If you were to describe how you are feeling right now, or maybe should I say yesterday, how you were feeling. You were feeling worn out and tired, broken, hurting. Yesterday, I drove back from seeing my dad. I went and surprised him. He turns 84 today, since I obviously couldn't be there today. My son and I drove down to see him yesterday. When I was driving back, I saw the name of a town just south of Lynchburg. You know what the name of the town is? Hurt. H-U-R-T. Hurt Virginia. I would move. (laughs) That's just me. I wouldn't want to live in hurt. Not interested in living in hurt. What I do know is, some of you, that's how you would describe yourself. You're hurt. You're hurting. You feel broken. Some of you feel like you're in agony. Do you know why the book of Revelation was written? It was written for people just like you. People who feel as though this world is overwhelming. That this world is too tough. That life is hard. The Bible never denies that. But the, what the Bible always wants also wants you to know, that in the last chapter, of the last book, God wins. God wins. Not only does God win, everyone who follows Jesus wins as well. And there will come a day when we will sit at a feast. There will be billions of people there. We will sit at a feast called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And I believe as we sit at that feast, we will look up and we will see heaven like a bride adorned for the groom coming down to earth And the new heaven and the new earth will be eternally combined. And there will be no more tears, no more need for band-aids or iodine, no more surgeries, because night will be gone and the sea will be gone. And you will have a new body and you will live in a new heaven and a new earth. Comfort one another with these words. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. As we stand together, I'd like for you to close your eyes in God's presence. As you close your eyes, but keep your heart open. I don't know where you're at with Jesus. But I would guarantee you, life's better with Jesus. Life with Christ doesn't always make it easier in the sense of that we're never in pain, we're never hurting. Let me tell you what, when we walk with Christ the pain becomes bearable, the hurt can be healed, and we have a hope that we'll never, ever be disappointed in Him. Have you made the choice in your life to follow Jesus? If you have not, I want to encourage you in this moment to say yes to Him. Maybe you're a college student and you're just stepping into the next four years of your life. If you know him, keep walking with him. Find others that will walk with him as well. Maybe you're just stepping into college and you've never said yes to Jesus. Saying yes to Jesus would be repeating in your spirit and in your heart a prayer that would go something like this. Jesus, I don't know everything there is to know about who you are. But what I do know is this is that you came to this earth to save me from my very self. You came into this world to forgive, not to condemn, to free us up, not to curse us. And so, Jesus, I choose you. I choose to follow you, to follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I repent of those and ask that you would cleanse me because I cannot cleanse myself. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. That Not only did you come to this earth, but you've also gone to prepare a place for us that we will live with you forever and ever. If you've prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to tell someone before you exit this building, you would say to whoever you came with or whoever brought you say hey I said yes to Jesus this morning and also before you exit if you'll go to the guest welcome table we've got some basic things that we would like to hand to you and we'll pray for you but it's things that will help you grow in your newfound faith and now also to the rest of us if you are weary and you feel broken and you feel like you're hurt and you're hurting. You feel like living on this earth is wearing thin. Please allow the truth of Scripture to grab your heart and take just a moment to worship Jesus as we close. Let's worship together. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. God, we thank you for the promises of your scripture. We thank you for the truths of what lies ahead of each and every one of us. Lord, thank you for a new heaven and a new earth. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. As we conclude our time, if you would like prayer, the prayer team will be down front to pray with you and to pray for you. If not, you may feel free to stay in worship. But now may the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And give you peace. Amen and amen. God bless.
1: Much more worthy than I have known. I cannot imagine just how glorious You are, and I cannot begin to tell how deep a love You breathe. Lord, my ears have heard of You, but now my eyes have seen.